What is happening, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to check out our website as well, www.themondaymorningblues.com. There you're going to find out the next four weeks' guest on our show, information on all of them, and much, much more. So be sure to stay tuned, stay updated, subscribe, and keep the blues alive. Alive and well. What is happening, guys? Welcome back to the Monday Morning Blues. I'm Christian Anson. As always, this week's guest is Connor Court. He is the touring guitar tech kind of like a stage manager, uh, formerly the uh, song person over at Johnny's Blitz uh, over in Chicago area. And now he has landed himself into a pretty good position over at Delmark Records in the studio. Uh, he's working on uh, moving his way in there full time, uh, working the board and stuff. So Connor is a jack of all trades. I actually talked to Connor last weekend. Um, and you're going to listen to the interview today. Connor is also an aspiring documentary filmmaker who's also reached out to me because I've made a documentary uh, that won at the West Miami International Film Festival and uh, the Global Trailer Film Festival in Beverly Hills for my debut documentary, The Sun of South Florida. And he came to me, and he wants me to be a part of the project that he's working on called 594 Miles from Chicago. Now, the name, yeah, I probably need some explaining, and I'll do that. So 594 is the estimated mileage from the crossroads um, where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil uh, for, you know, the music and fame all the way to Chicago. So from that point all the way to Chicago, it's 594 miles, and that was the name of the documentary. And it's going to focus on the people who migrated from the South to Chicago to, you know, make a living playing blues music. And being a part of this is such a blessing and an honor because I've actually been wanting to do one myself. And then this opportunity presented itself. So, um, and this is something that he's doing, you know, in the middle of a pandemic because as a, you know, as a sound person, someone who tours, uh, you know, live music, it's just been completely shut down for the past five months. So, he has got his creative juices flowing, and boom, documentary presents itself. So um, you're going to listen to my interview right now with Connor Court. Like always, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to check out the website as well, www.themondaymorningblues.com. Enjoy. Here's my interview with Connor Court. Yeah, I think the the first I, I I came across you actually by uh by way of Pat. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually subscribed to the Buddy Guy Radio Legends podcast, and it was right after I actually talked to Pat for the show that I do. Um, he he was actually looking for advice on how to do and you know record an interview in the middle of a pandemic, and yeah. um, then shortly thereafter, boom, there goes that interview that I saw. Um. So I, I guess I could I could just kind of start where where does 
where do you come in as far as the blues community goes? I know you went to Columbia. Um, you went there for audio engineering. Um, then you did the, the booking over at, at Johnny's, but it mm-hmm. seems like you have become a very huge part of the legends community. Um, is it by way of, you know, that job at Johnny's or is it just, how, how did you immerse yourself in, in that culture over there at legends? Yeah. So it all started over at uh, Johnny's Blitz, you know, booking bands and running sound for, for acoustic acts. Um, and then I actually had the opportunity to run sound for Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lindsay Alexander actually introduced me to Greg. Um, and then me and Greg kind of kicked it off because Greg does a whole bunch of, you know, audio stuff. Right. And I kind of bonded with that. Um, he's like, have you ever been down to legends? I said, yeah, you know, only as like a spectator, just coming in and checking out music and like, why don't you come on down and we'll hang out and we'll, you could see what I have over down at legends. And, uh, I met Vicky and, you know, it just kind of fell through there, but, uh, you know, the blues community, it all started really at Johnny's blitz, um, you know, booking bands and, uh, starting out, uh, with acoustic acts and deciding, Hey, uh, I want to move towards the blues scene because I've realized going down to Kingston Mines and going to Blues and Halstead and all these places, you know, there's only a, you know, a minimal amount of places for people to play at. Right. So I uh, started booking people and then started meeting people, uh, booking a lot of blues bands and just kind of sticking with that genre. Uh, the window just kind of opened up and everyone started getting a hold of me. And then I just started building relationships. That's kind of where it started. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, generally, the blues is obviously it's 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 settled and grounded into a a uh, a more older generation. When it came to you, you know, and the opportunity to start booking for these people, was it? What was it about your pitch to them per se that they trusted? Because I mean, here you got this these young kid who just graduated Columbia, you know, who wants to book blues artists. I mean, did they? Was it hard for them to take it serious at first? Because obviously yeah. the blues is built on you know that older generation. What was the hardest part for you as far as breaking through? Yeah, I think I think being um, a younger guy who's who's just trying to get his foot in the door. I think building that trust, um, having them just come in once and hearing, you know, how great the room sounds, uh, how great hospitality is, how great pay is, um, you know, and bonding with them, talking to them, asking them about their stories and, you know, just building a friendship really is kind of, um, what grabbed their interest in, in my perspective. Um, you know, and, and some places, mo- most of the time, the sound guy, or the booking guy won't even be there or the sound guy will just kind of focus on his needs and not build that relationship. Whereas I wanted to, you know, make friends and uh, you know, and it kind of just, like I said, the window just opened up and it just became, you know, became something. It, it was never intended to be like, Hey, right. I want to be this specific person in this specific genre of music. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to be this specific, you know, aid to it. But it never turned out to be like that. It was just more of I wanted to build friendships. And these guys are amazing people. These women are amazing people. And I just, you know, it just kind of fell in my lap. 
Right. So, and I mean, uh, that it's you, you nailed it right on the head with that. I mean, no one graduates college as an audio engineer and says, I just want to do the blues. I mean, that's a position yeah, yeah. that you, you take what you can get and you run with it. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's a very – it's a very it, it's a large pool of people, but the opportunities once they come, you take it and you run with it. Yeah, um, and you know, and and being that there isn't a lot of blues venues out there, right? I th- I think having somebody so interested and so willing to you know help them in any way possible, booking them, uh, giving them dates to play, uh, kind of showed that I was very involved in it you know so i think that also added to that bonding and that friendship that i have with musicians so yeah no certainly i mean even look at it this way i mean it's not so much just it's not so much the fact that you just do the sound i think that's a very general label and it's a very it's I, it's not. I don't. I don't like that label. I mean, you look at people like Chad Franskoziak, who who's been with John Mayer forever. Yep. When when you listen to the music and and those favorite albums that you have or whatever, it's yes, it's him. It's a musician. He he wrote the stuff. He, but at the end of the day, what you're hearing was crafted by that engineer. So I yeah. feel like the appreciation and and respect. I think engineers don't get enough of it. I feel like you walk in, you just walk right past sound and you, yeah. you leave and you're Absolutely. like, you're listening to the songs in the, in the, in the car on the way home. And you're like, Oh, the yep. song smokes. But yep. at the end of the day is that it goes from the artist and it ends up in, in the hands of the engineer who crafts Absolutely. it and pushes it out. So I, I feel like yeah. you, you guys are kind of, we're the underrated, we're underrated in, in the industry in, in my perspective. Um, you know, and people get, I mean, yes, people give a lot of credit to the musicians and it does start with them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what ends up in a final mix is from an audio engineer, a mixing engineer, a mastering engineer, um, you know, and, 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 you know, you could be inside of a bar and you can, you can hear uh, music and it might sound great, might sound horrible, but right. most of the time people are just so involved in the live performance that that stuff doesn't, doesn't queue up and, you know, in their, in their brains, but if it sounds horrible, if it sounds really bad, of course people are going to be like, Hey, that doesn't sound right. Right. But if it sounds great, um, you know, people feel like they're listening to a record. If it's, if it's a live situation, Mm -hmm. people are saying, Hey, this sounds just like the CD that I picked up, or this is what I heard on Spotify or YouTube or whatnot, you know? So. Right. Now, do you ever find yourself, you know, at, at times where, you get pulled into a conversation with someone out of the ordinary, and I mean, if so, I mean that's got to be quite, quite a trip to to have that interaction. Because I know when I saw John Mayer at the United Center, it was they were leaving, and I everyone wanted to see John. I said, "Hey, Chad, he stopped like the the world just blew up and ran yeah, over." Yeah. I mean, what's that like to have that that uh, not so much that appreciation, but that hey, um, I like what you're doing, or hey, you know let's talk about this. Do you have that happen often? Um, you know, occasionally there'll be somebody, um, you know, at the bar or whatnot that are saying, Hey, it sounds great. You know, this, you did a good job. Mm -hmm. Um, it was never, it's never been really, um, a celebration, so to say it's not nothing. No one's really ever pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, we, I appreciate everything you do besides musicians. Of course, right, musicians of course. That, but like, you know, anybody in the audience, they, they're more, more focused on asking those questions to the musicians. Certainly. But I feel like audio engineers or booking agents, you know, all those people are put to the side 
unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, they do a lot of work. We us, you know, us audio engineers, we we have to put in our you know craft to it to make sure it sounds great. But I've never had somebody come up to me and um, you know just want to talk about audio. Besides, you know, musicians, of course, musicians or Greg wanted to talk to me about you know legends and audio stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, it's uh, the the thing is with audios. I I went to school for that for very little. I I actually went back to a community college just to pick, you know, get my brain picked about about it and kind of understand it. It's I did the intro class and I aced it. Yeah, then yeah. I went to the advanced class and I was lost. When it yeah. comes to audio, I mean, it, it's it's a real real freaking craft. And I mean, is being you know obviously it sounds like Johnny's just you're moving out from there. But when you're going from venue to venue, um you're limited to, you're working with what's provided. Absolutely. What's the biggest difficult, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's so difficult about going to different venue and adjusting on very short notice with a system and or program. Um, and how do you, how do you, how do you switch up with that and, and figure yeah. it out? Yeah. I mean, every room is different. Every room is, is architect, you know, is, made specifically for you know however many people they want in there right um the pa is could be totally different than the night before um the monitors could be totally different than the night before um it really just depends on the size of the room and the materials that are used in the room um but you know starting out as an audio engineer and you're touring um you can it it can be a little easier if you're carrying your own desk Certainly. Uh, which which makes things you know go by a lot faster. Uh, the one difficult thing is if you're in a festival, um, of course there's a PA technician, um, and you know more, more than likely they'll help you out. But if you're if you're at a venue and you're on a tour and you're doing uh, you know club sizes, uh, you know a thousand cap at the most mm-hmm. um more than likely you'll have time to do sound checks um you know and you can ring out the pa you can balance things and then save it and then by the time the show comes up um you know you it's it's rock and roll it's ready to go so certainly um, yeah it, it takes a little while but sound checks definitely help but if you don't have a sound check uh usually what we do is we have a file that's set and we could pull up that file from the previous show Ah. At like let's say let's say we're at a festival we're doing Lollapalooza um and it's it's ready to go like you pull it up from the last venue yes the PA is different uh but more than likely the PA tech will already have the PA rang, you know rang out mm. and you don't have to do anything you know levels are set you're using the same mics um yeah same instruments it's pretty much the same but interesting yeah. now <clears throat> i i know this from working at at the arcada i just I, I'm so I'm so interested when, when it comes to the audio stuff. It's just fascinating. I mean, it's such a it's usually a job that yeah, I mean the people doing it they're they're very quiet, but they're moving and they're doing things at such a fast and critical pace that you just you don't you don't process it. Like yeah. you have to you have to be on a swivel. And I've I've seen a show where you know the the power like a, a you know there was a trip in in the theater and everything literally i saw the levels literally just move automatically just boof all down to the mm-hmm. bottom in a situation like that if you've if you've ran into that i mean what's how do you adjust and keep keep that energy keep the the flow of the show per se somewhat normal in a situation yeah. like that 
Um, you know, a major thing with audio engineers, um, it, it's all about troubleshooting. So if you're in a venue and things cut out, you gotta, you really have to be on your feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even in a small venue like Johnny's, if, you know, something starts to, to ring out and it starts to cause a feedback and everything, you're, you gotta really kind of be on your feet. Whereas, you know, a studio engineer, you have time to critique your, your mix or your recording. Whereas, you know, live you being on your feet is, is the best, you know, it's the best, it's a great feeling. It's an adrenaline feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, But you got to stay calm. You got to really focus. Focusing is super important. Um, If you're not focused, then it's, you know, everything can hit the fan. So, I mean, if, if a PA starts to ring out and it starts to feed back uh, and you're scrolling through things and you can't really figure it out, you just go to the basics. You turn, you turn the gain down on something. You know, if you see levels peaking, turn that gain down, make sure it's not, you know, starting to ring out even more, but definitely being on your feet is super important as an audio engineer. Uh, be staying calm, um, really keeping your eyes open and your ears open specifically. Um, yeah, certainly about it. You know, the interesting thing is with this is when when I first, you know, Pat introduced me to to you and and some of your work is uh, Black Pistol Fire. When when I when I found out about uh, you know you working with them, how yeah. did that come into the mix? I mean, you have this this kick ass band from from Texas, and then you got you know yourself from from Chicago. Was yeah. it around the time when they did Lala that did you guys meet at that around that time period or were you with them from the start? No, um, I joined them. I joined up with them this year. Oh, okay. Actually. Um, and I, I started. I met them through a website called Bobnet, um, and Bobnet is a. It's not. And a website that everybody knows about, um, you know, touring people definitely would know about, but you have to submit a resume, you have to pay annual fee, you have to get approved. And then once you're approved, you actually get job posts from oh. tour, you know, about tours, uh, like indeed. It's like IMDB uh, pro for filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah. So you get, you get job posts for, for tours sent to your email. Um, and of course, everyone and their brother is going to be applying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it just kind of went from me applying, sending my email, talking to management. Um, and then they actually went and go went to go meet somebody. And it was between me and that person. And they didn't really get a vibe from that person. Um, and they, you know, I jumped on the phone call with Kevin and Eric and uh, their tour manager uh, Taylor and we all kind of talked and you know they they were just asking questions and I actually got a phone call with Kevin by himself and talked Damn. to him um so it, it's really you know you got to think about it you're living on a bus with somebody for months at a time you yeah, know, a no kidding time. so it's 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 a house so you're welcoming somebody new inside inside of a house and you it's really about bonding so and it's difficult if you're getting hired over the internet Cause you don't know oh, what yeah. you, you can lie on a resume. You can, you know, what, what not, but um, yeah, black pistol, great guys, Austin, Texas, Southern blues rock. Um, I actually just got off, you know, a Skype call with all of them uh, <laughs> recently, just because we were in the middle of a tour and it got canceled. Mm. Of corona. But 
Um, I was actually doing audio. I was doing guitar um, tech. Guitar tech. Right. So, um, so I'm I'm on you know on the side of stage passing guitars off with Kevin. Um, I also am the backline guy, so I set up all the drum, you know, help set up the drums, set up the guitars, uh, put all the amps together, all that stuff. So, uh, it, and that's that's a stress relief off of my end because um, you know being an audio engineer, you do have to be on your feet. Right. Whereas guitar tech, yes, you kind of do, but it's a little bit more laid back. You know, unless you have a string breakage in the middle of a, yeah, a, a song that's about to break out in a solo. Yeah, <laughs> or or if his cable start stops working in the middle of you know seventeen thousand people in an arena, you gotta jump on stage and try and fix that, and you gotta run off stage and grab another cable, and then if everything starts working again. But you know, things like that do happen. But like you have to be on your feet. The touring world, you have to be on your feet always. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine that. I mean. You even look at bands like ZZ Top. I mean, they couldn't even really ride in the bus together. They all had three separate buses. They couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't stand each other. I mean, especially getting hired over the internet, essentially. You you know, over the phone call and all that stuff. And then finally, you know, getting there, actually being there in person with the band. Yeah. How hard was it for you to kind of break through? I mean, I maybe it was easy for you, but I, I find it hard to think that it was just like boom, like second nature. Was it hard for you to to uh, acclimate yourself w- with that situation in that group, or was it just something like second nature for you? Yeah, um, it's more of a second nature for me. Uh, sure. Most, yeah. if not all the time, if I meet somebody new, I mean, if they're an artist, you got to treat them like every other human being. Right. They're they're no different than than me, um, and they're no different than you. Mm-hmm. So you just got to treat them like, you know, like a brother or like a sister. You know, you just got to treat them like family but you know definitely meeting them for the first time it's a little not nerve-wracking but you just want to make a good first impression right. of course um and you know uh they i could tell they kept their eyes open a little bit more just because i was new but after the first or second show of me kind of jumping in the lion's den with them so to say mm-hmm. um they were very comfortable with me being on, being on the side of stage making sure you know they they knew my eyes were open on them and making sure that nothing would go haywire so um yeah i mean i i, I they flew me out to toronto wow. and we had a our first show was at scotia bank arena Oh, and, no kidding. That's a huge arena, man. Yeah, it was sold out. There was a, I think there was Holy about 17,000 people there. Yeah. Um, of course, we were the opening band for a band called the Glorious Sons. Um, but yeah, I mean, wow. it was crazy, man. It was like, wow. I've never experienced jumping on stage, trying to fix a cable last song while, you know, I'm seeing 17,000 eyes staring at me, which was it was nuts. Dude, that's but. incredible. I mean, that's that's the that's a pretty big first show. I mean, like yeah, no pressure. Absolutely. Like how, I mean, how do you that that's that's remarkable. I mean, and that's the cool thing about that band is they've um I mean, they they're getting they are going up the ranks quite quickly. I mean, from Gary Clark Jr. to Weezer and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um it, it it's quite incredible. And for you when obviously you talked to them before you got the gig, uh Playing the guitar, that's obviously something that certainly was a part of your life for a very long time. When did yeah. that come into the picture? What age was that for you? So I started playing guitar when I was about four years old. Um, and I am 25 years old right now, turning 26 in October. Um, but yeah, my parents bought me a guitar and I just kind of stuck with that. 
Um, and I just started playing, took lessons, stopped taking lessons, and just was playing by ear. Um, of course, I'm no, you know, buddy or I'm no <laughs> Steve Ray Vaughn or anything like that. But, you know, I'm, I practice and I've, I've got a collection of guitars in my closet and, you know, all that good stuff. Oh, that's <clears> awesome. <throat> Absolutely awesome. Yeah, no, the, the thing is with uh, the whole audio stuff right now, there's the current situation is really affecting many people. I know a lot of people. Um, you know, in your position right now are just, they're struggling and the resources and, um, you know, financial support for, for a lot of people in this area too, sometimes isn't there in a, in a situation like this, unfortunately, which is quite ridiculous in my opinion. But, um, how have you been able to manage and cope with, with the past five and a half months? I mean, (laughs) this is your livelihood. This is how you, you know, provide for yourself. What is that? situation been like for you yeah um you know i was in the middle of the tour with black pistol fire um we were actually in the middle of setting up for our seventh gig i believe playing at an arena in calgary and um we actually were told to stop setting up our gear and we were sent home the next day um and as soon as i got home they closed the border a couple days after i got home oh you're lucky um so i made it just in time (laughs) but then i realized well everything at home is closed now right so johnny's johnny's was closed um which means my booking agency uh bluesbird of course is not doing anything because nobody's hiring anybody so that's no income out of that um so yeah i mean i was i mean i think every i was just talking to one of my buddies today you know the the music world they're hit really hard with this mm-hmm. stuff i mean we were the first people to really kind of get struck by it especially crew members on any tours or any venue owners or anybody like that we were hit hard um but you know Pete, i applied for unemployment unemployment didn't go through and then i saw pua which was pandemic unemployment assistance i applied right. for that I got approved and that's for non-essential, you know, that's for uh, uh, like gig workers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I applied, I got approved um, <clears throat> and I've been just, you know, living off that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got on, um, you know, the, the bar started to open back up and I started doing sound again, even though I wasn't supposed to, but I did that. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that helped out. Uh, I sold a guitar here and there, but, you know, I'm just trying to make my ends meet, you know, and, you know, saving money, I got car car payments and insurance stuff like that. And I don't have a a day-to-day job, Mm. you know, it it, it sucks for musicians, especially in the blues world, right? you know, and blues venues, Kinks and Minds, Blues and Halstead, Roses, uh, Buddy Guys, um, you know, they're not open. I mean, besides Roses, Roses is doing live but, yeah, they're doing pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They sound great. Uh, Tony's doing a great job over there, and uh, the whole Roses staff is fantastic. So, mm. I mean, they've uh, been doing live streams though too before though for 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 yeah. since like what four or five years now. But this is yeah. now it's become more of like they've like they pre- not. I don't want to say anyone's prepared for this, but um, like they've they've already know you know how this stuff works but uh, yeah they have a they definitely have a foundation when it comes right. to, to live streaming they know what they're doing so mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean I'm, I'm trying to keep afloat um i'm waiting for touring to get back but i don't think till 2021 right maybe summer hopefully maybe. 
crossing fingers. It's you know? crazy, man. Absolutely, it crazy. sucks. It sucks. I I know a lot of people who are in the touring world who actually changed their career path because really they don't see it coming back. I mean, you know, I know tour managers who have done this for over twenty years, and they said, you know, uh, they've done a lot and they've seen a lot, but this is the worst that they've seen. Mm. And they hung up their coats and. They're on to other things, you know. They're they're finding an uh, office job somewhere, and they're working. Oh home, man, you know. And then there's other other tour people who are waiting out, like me, who love it so much that they're waiting to wait past this pandemic and, you know, holding on for dear life. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, seeing seeing when things come back. So. Right, and I mean, and not only as a, a you know as a financial burden as, as sound engineers or just someone you know, involved with music, but at the, at the end of the day too, with Bluesbird, with what you do there, I mean, there's another added pressure right then and there, you know, now I got these artists who are, you know, they're like, they're like, Hey, what do we do? And now you got that to deal with. I mean, it's like, I couldn't even imagine how it's going to be. And honestly, like when the venues do start to open up, I work, I do part-time work at the, at Onesti with uh, the Arcada and stuff over there. Mm -hmm. Once, once it does get to that phase, I think it's five, um, you're not gonna yeah you can have shows but i don't think it's gonna be much of a show because one yes you could do it but the first thing is are these bands gonna want to travel and you know put that at risk i mean you're gonna see a lot of these local tribute bands you're going to see a lot of these local bands for a very long time until and you know that's just what it's gonna be and you're gonna have to be okay with it it's just very very frustrating. I honestly think music is I, – I don't know if live shows will be the same again no. ever. There's going to be the I, second – you're going to be second-guessing yourself walking in. It's just going to be a very uneasy experience. Yeah, I think you know the music world – I mean even day-to-day stuff, it's everything changing. I, I was talking to my buddy yesterday, and I, I – to be honest with you, I don't even remember what life was before this pandemic. Wow. Because uh, you're working it's, all the time. Exactly. My my day to day was waking up on the bus and starting my starting my day of loading in and doing all that. And I I don't see that being the same. I think, you know, I just saw a, a post on Facebook about uh, Orland Park Fest. Uh, they just had a concert there where okay. they had cubes in the middle of a field where, you know, six feet apart. Wow. And I guess it went well. You know, you wow. got to test that stuff. Right. You got to chase the numbers, see, you know, if there were people who were infected and whatnot, but, you know, people are doing it. People are, you know, trying to, trying to make a living, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's rough out there. Dude, it sucks. I mean, like when I was even talking to Toronto, um, back in May, he even said at that time, I said, he said, I think it was Cleveland was one of the only places who were still doing them, but Tampa, man, like I was talking to Jose Ramirez not too long ago. They're thriving. It's like a pandemic never even, I mean, he's they're playing he's playing shows all the time now i mean it's yeah. great but it's just like it's just it's, it's scary man yeah, it's very scary, scary. It's very scary because you don't you don't know it it takes one person and mm-hmm. that's it you know and, and you got to be safe of course social distancing and i understand everyone want everyone's hungry to get out there and play but you get you really have to take care of yourself and uh there's other things that musicians can do live streaming um record a record in a studio uh, you know things like that, but live live performances aren't going to be the same, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. 
No, certainly. And you know, the interesting thing is this, is I, like you mentioned, life before the pandemic, you didn't really know what that was because you're always busy. That brings me to my next point in the fact that I was with this girl for almost two years and I was just always with her. And then she left. And now then I had all this time. And then that's when I had this time and I was thinking, I go, okay, I really want to do. And that's when my first documentary came in the picture and I produced it, released it. We won two awards for it um, at the West Miami International Film Festival and out in Beverly Hills at a film festival. Boom. But I had that time to do something that I really wanted to do, something that I've always wanted to do. You're in the same situation now, 594 miles from Chicago. Boom. Here we are. Yep. How did that idea kind of come to fruition and what was the driving force to do so? Yeah. So um, I was seeing, I've always wanted to do a documentary on the blues, um, especially because I was running sound and booking bands and getting close with all these musicians and mm-hmm. hearing their story and who they played with. And, you know, I'd come home and I'd look up YouTube and there would be nothing there. And, you know, it it was something that really struck me and, and, I realized that these people need to be heard. You know, mm-hmm. I've got all this time. I've got, you know, nothing really going on right now, uh, music wise. Right. And 594 miles is strictly for those musicians who haven't gotten their voice heard. Um, they're the new archives, so to say. Uh, of course, you know, you you see interviews with Buddy. And you see interviews with uh, John Mayer and, you know, all these, you know, artists who, you know, are already established. But right. what about the guys who are in the back who played with these artists, who have played with most, if not all the blues people? Uh, John Primer played mm. with uh, Muddy Waters. Uh, you got Big Ray who played with Eddie Clearwater. You know, you've got Jimmy Johnson, who's, what is he, 91? 91 is crazy. Yeah. So you got all these artists. and especially with COVID right now, people are, people aren't taking it really well. I mm-hmm. mean, we know a lot of bass players specifically, unfortunately, that are passing away from this and they haven't had their story told yet. I mean, they, they play, I know bass players, uh, Roosevelt Johnson, who, you know, rest his soul, but he played with everybody. I mean, um, he played with Mike Wheeler for a little while. He played with Al Spears. I mean, he was a great guy and it kind of hit me where I was like, you know, people need, people need the blues community specifically need something like right, this. Of course. Um, yeah. And, and I came up with the name 594 miles from Chicago takes you straight to, well, if if you think about it, 500 city limits from my house, I'm not talking specifically in the city. It's of exactly Chicago. 594. <laughs> yeah. 594 miles to Clarksdale, Mississippi, right. which is, where the crossroads is where the first the start of uh the blues happened with robert johnson so Mm. yeah that's pretty exciting i mean i i know like when i did my documentary the first part is like the idea is great you have all these ideas you know fuming and then you're like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with this one and then you get to it and then next part is okay how the hell am i going to do this that was that was the part that took me about almost a month or two months to figure out and then i figured out started calling boom 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 organization wise and and scheduling and and planning wise what has that been like i mean this post post idea post yeah i'm gonna do this you're like wow okay there's a lot yeah. has to get yeah. done how has that been there is a lot to be done i mean you know this especially especially being you know you being a part of the team helps out a lot um but you know i gotta make sure that my company the bluesbird llc 
Uh, got to get copyrights, got to get waivers signed. You know, I got to pay the fees, uh, especially filming. Filming is so expensive. Oh, God, yeah. uh, post-production, it's a lot, you know. And and what I've realized is it's best to get your ideas down on paper, mm-hmm. right? So put down everything that you can, uh, all the people you want to interview, uh, sponsorships, uh, you know, trailer, teasers, uh, filming days. Everything needs to be a project management. So, um, and that's, that's kind of been helping a lot. Uh, just getting the ideas down, uh, putting dates out and schedules, but, uh, I'm right now, my main focus is getting this teaser back, which should be in August, I believe. Um, and then once that, once I get a hold of that, then I'm going to start a Kickstarter. There you um, go. And once the Kickstarter takes off, then people can, help donate. Uh, they can be a part of the documentary. They can have their name in it, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, we'll just take it from there, but, uh, it's definitely important to get these stories documented Mm -hmm. as fast as possible because you never know what might happen, unfortunately, but yeah, I know, uh, man, it's so sad. I mean, you even look at like what, what, uh, Rush, Bobby Rush went through it uh, in yep. April. I was yep. horrified, you know, getting that email from Jeff saying, hey, he's not going to be able to do interviews. I'm like, what's yeah. up? Well, I'm like, oh, man, forget the, I could care less about the interview at that point. It absolutely. was just weekly check-ins. How's he doing? How's he doing? Um, yeah. it's, it is absolutely uh, a scary yeah. time. And like you said, you, you perfect time to do it because you just never know. Yeah, especially happen. with, you know, COVID uh, and the protesting that's going around right that now. Too, yeah. Um, you know, it, it really shines a light on the blues community to kind of step forward and say, hey, here's our story. You know, this is what we've been through, um, you know, and and most of these, like I said, most of these people haven't had their story told. So it's very important to get a, get a hold of that as fast as possible, but efficiently, you know, make, make sure it's done right. Right. So. And for you, you mentioned the Kickstarter for people listening to this who. Um, you know, who I've had people reach out to me who are interested in, you know, just, just the concept and idea of this already. What would the Kickstarter in- involve for them? Cause I know I've tried one before. It didn't work. It was, you know, it, it was, it was a hard thing to pitch for, for certain things, but w- what's in it for them? Because they have things I've seen where like, Hey, if you donate this much, or if you do this much, you know, you'll, you'll receive this, 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 and you'll be, in- what would be in it for, for, for those listening who uh, are, are peaking interest in, in being a part of this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's going to be multiple options that people can choose from. Um, one of them of course is having their name at the bottom, you know, at the end of the film, Um, you know, as a donation, um, you know, you helped bring this film to life. Mm -hmm. Um, another is maybe, uh, you know, uh, having you be a part of it in general. Um, you know, maybe you being there at, you know, a film site of some sort. Um, another one is possibly, uh, interviewing, you know, that's a big one. Yeah. Depends on, you know, for 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> depends depends on their influence on the right. news and everything else but uh you know there's there's a whole bunch of different options especially you know let's say it's elixir strings right mm-hmm. and we've got an artist who plays guitar you can have elixir strings you know on the side oh, of, of an amp or something you know it, it's it, it's there's there's different ways of doing it and i'm i'm in the process of of writing all those up but those are just some of the ideas yeah it's uh 
It's a very exciting time doing stuff like this, so I'm happy that this is actually happening for you now. But the crazy thing is, you know, like you mentioned, you didn't know what life was, you know, what a normal life was like before the pandemic. But now once we, you know, you do start to get back into the swing of things, you're going to be right in the middle of of the filming. And, you know, now you're going to be like, what am I going to do? Am I going to put my – my pride and joy, my passion, my career aside for this because, like I said in the beginning, it's very cutthroat business. If yep. you got to take that opportunity and run with it, are you fearful that this is going to perhaps overstep the position that you're in right now um, with Black Pistol or just audio engineering in general because the documentary is going to consume so much time? Yeah, I mean, um, what's helped me out is Julia over there at Delmark. Mm-hmm. Um, she's kind of brought me on to help them uh, with the studio over there. So that's, that's been helping me kind of keep my audio engineering skills up to date. Um, whereas touring, I really don't see anything coming until maybe late of next year. Yeah. Um, so that is that, I, you know, it's, it, it helps with that, but you know, and unfortunately as of right now, and, and I made it, made it out to public, I'm not going to be working at Johnny's anymore. Right. Um, so that's, you know, that kind of made it clear for me to really focus on, on what needs to be done. Um, and you know, I love Johnny's death. I Mm -hmm. love Johnny personally, you know, he's like a father to me, but, um, it's, it's just time, you know, it's time for me to move forward and do my own thing and really focus on this documentary and my family and all that stuff. So. Right. No, uh, certainly. Absolutely. Um, and the nice thing, though, about this, like you said, is you, you're going to have this time to do that. Um, and it, I think it will work out because, yeah, live music is not going to be back to yeah, to what everyone thinks. Like people are – like Guns N' Roses rescheduled their tour starting in, yep. in May. There's no yeah. way in hell. I mean I do I hope? Absolutely. I sure yeah, yeah. hope it happens. But, but it's... I, I, don't see, I don't see it happening. And, you know, Johnny's – we're starting to have live music again. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the capacity, it's 25% capacity inside and outside. Mm-hmm. So the revenue is not there. Oh, combined or is it just 25 it's, in and out? It's, it's combined if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that sucks. Um, so, yeah, you, it's really hard. It hurts businesses. Um, you know, we want to have blues back. We do. And we're trying, um, you know, but it's hard when people don't want to, you know, keep their distance. You can't make anybody wear masks, of course, you know. Yeah, you can't force um, them it's 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 for us for at the restaurant we require somebody to have their mask on Mm -hmm. until they get to their table then they could take their mask off but as soon as they get to get out of their seat and maybe go to the bathroom or play slots in the back they have to have their mask on Mm -hmm. um outside of course tables are spaced six feet apart so uh i mean it's kind of hard to enforce people to wear masks outside all the servers wear masks, but so like everything is changed. Uh, I, I re- require the musicians, especially to wear masks. Mm-hmm. Um, the the singers, you know, it's a little difficult. A little court, difficult, but yeah. It, it's, they can do it. Right. Um, it might sound a little muffled, but you know. Who cares? You're doing it safe, right? Exactly. There's ways to enhance the sound and make sure that their voice gets out there clearly. Um, you know, it, it's difficult right now and you can't live stream with the hours that we have unless we do really early in the morning or really late at night. Um, and we did do live streaming. Live streaming has helped Mm -hmm. the band specifically, not the venue. Right. Um, especially since we're a free venue, you know, Johnny's blitz, we don't charge. No cover. Yeah. No cover charge. Oh, wow. Um, so it's really coming out of our pocket. 
So um, we do pass around a donation bucket is what we call it. So people can donate and that donation money goes towards the paying of the band. Um, but it really just depends on the night. You know, we could have nobody. We could have three people. We can have 20 people, mm-hmm. 30 people. It just depends. So um, we're trying, trying to make what's, you know, what's best, but uh, I don't see it coming back until late next year. Right. Yeah, man, this sucks. You know how they say, uh, you know, uh, one door closes, another opens. Absolutely. Uh, Johnny's departing. Delmark moved right into the picture. How did that situation present itself for you over there uh, working the uh, sound? Yeah, so Julia, um, actually, Lindsay Alexander had told me that the previous audio engineer um, had moved forward. And uh, he told me to get in touch with Julia, who's the president and CEO of Delmark. And uh, she had me come in and she was like, hey, we're going to have a live stream. Uh, we're going to have a, a, another person come in and just record a song. Um, so she's um, had me come in the studio and kind of help revamp uh, the recording space specifically, not the, rec- not the audio uh, where the board is and stuff, mm-hmm. more like the live room, right. um, you know, readjusting all the cables and the boxes and everything. Um, and you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's the starting steps of hopefully something, you know, great. Um, but you never know, you know, right now with COVID, it's really hard to get people in the studio just because of, you know, um, you know, having too many people in the studio or having, you know, not enough, uh, time in a day to match there. It's, it's a lot. So, Right. Um, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, hopefully it's a long-term thing and hopefully I can right. help them out. And, uh, you know, it, it helps me gain further knowledge in the blues because Delmark has been around for Forever. a very long time. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. It's a great thing that happened, but you know, of course, Johnny's is going to be missed and I, mm-hmm. and I miss it already, but you know, <laughs> it's time for, it's time for me to close that door and start something. New, so, right. And you know, the, the interesting thing with the Delmark opportunity is this. I mean, I'm not quite sure if you've been able to hone into the magnitude of the opportunity in which you have been given. I mean, Delmark, I think, is the oldest. I think it's classified as the oldest jazz and blues record, um, uh, one of them around. And now you, you moved right into the situation. Knowing the people that have recorded in their records – uh, that studio, that that place in itself. Yeah. Have you been able to lock into the magnitude of of this, you know, hopefully, um, you know, lifelong journey? Has it yeah. hit you? Yeah. Um. You know, there's there's a there's an organ in there from the original Chess Records. Holy cow, man! Uh, and and they Julia specifically doesn't want to, um, you know, it's it change a whole lot in the studio just mm-hmm. because of the the history behind it i mean even painting a wall think about that all the people in the studio who sat in that in that room were surrounded by that paint you know it's just right. like little it's things crazy like that. it's little things like that but uh that studio definitely has a lot of history to it um you know and it's there's a lot of people who've recorded great albums from there um and it's a great studio great rehearsal space but yeah definitely i mean a lot of vintage gear specifically you know vintage mics vintage uh you know um uh wow what what am i blanking here uh vintage you know tape machines there you go it's analog right yeah analog analog board uh that board's original so it's you know they've done a lot to revamp it and you know make sure that it's all up to date you know new pro tools um 
all that stuff. So um, yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. Stepping foot in there. It's, it's like a time machine. It's like you're taken back to when people were recording them back in the days, you know. Right. So. And how supportive has, has Julia been over there? I mean, she's great, but how, how supportive have they been of, you know, the, the documentaries? Well, obviously, super, I'm sure, because of the yeah. fact of the focus on the blues and stuff like that. But as far as uh, time management and, you know, devoting, you know, time to that and, and yeah. Delmark as well, have they been helpful with understanding, uh, you know, what you've embarked on? No, absolutely. And they're, I mean, they're totally supportive. Right. Uh, Julia, I told her she needs to be in the documentary. <laughs> uh, you know, LBO over there needs to be in the documentary. Uh, the studio in general just needs to be taken, you know. So, I mean, they see they see my hard work and dedication and, you know, to help preserve the blues. So, you know, um, helping them in any way possible is is what they're really looking for. So Absolutely. Well, Connor, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. That was my interview with Connor Court. Like always, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to visit the website as well. There you're going to find all of our upcoming guests, archived episodes, and much, much more. appreciate you always. Stay safe. God bless. And we will see you next week with the youngest guest ever on our show, nine-year-old Champ Jackson. Take it easy.